Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Port St. Lucie. Please join Executive Pastor Will Price for the message, GOAT. the greatest boxers of all time. Just a, a few cool facts about Muhammad Ali. Um, as an amateur, he fought in 105 fights and he actually won 100 of those fights, which is pretty impressive. And then in 1960, um, he went to the Olympics in Rome and became the gold medalist. And then there's that iconic moment in his life in 1964 when he beat Sonny Liston to become uh, the, the, the heavyweight champion of the world, and he's quoted saying, I must be the greatest. And, and we could debate as to whether or not he's the greatest, right? Some of you may believe that he's the greatest. Some of you may believe Mike Tyson is the greatest. But you know, there's something about our human nature that causes us to want to classify and categorize things. You know, we, we, we classify musicians, we classify uh, uh, athletes, uh, businesses, and, and even products, right? I mean, just think of all the different things in life that you would say, that is the greatest of all time. You know, a few for me um, would be uh, definitely Publix over Walmart, okay? Um, also, Chick-fil-A over every fast food restaurant. Uh, this one may not be as, as, as popular and might get me in trouble, but um, uh, Eminem over Tupac, I think, uh, for me. Um, Apple over Android. Okay, I knew I would, yeah, there's a little, little division in the church. Uh, I think there's a sermon about that. Um, and then, of course, Jesus over everything. We can all cheer for that, right? I don't know what it is, but there's just something in all of us that wants to define who is the greatest, what is the greatest, and even when was the greatest. Um, I think probably one of the most popular debates about greatest of all time right now has to be uh, Jordan versus LeBron, okay? <laughs> and wow, what a performance by LeBron um, a couple of nights ago, right? I mean, that was so impressive. I was telling one of my friends last night that what Golden State did as a team last night to win that game, LeBron did by himself, <laughs> you know, a couple of nights ago. Um, but I'm just curious, how many of you would say that you believe Michael Jordan is the greatest of all time? Okay, all right, now how many of you would say LeBron is the greatest of all time? All right, it's about split down the middle. Okay, I, I tend to lean towards um, Jordan. Um, in a lot of ways, primarily because LeBron left us. Um, but no, Jordan, Jordan has more rings. I, I believe he competed against 
far superior athletes. Um, but then you look at LeBron's all-time stats and, and they're pretty unreal. But you know, interestingly, the issue of greatest of all time actually came up in scripture a few times. Um, for example, in the Gospels, which by the way, if you're um, new to the Bible, the Gospels are the first four books of the New Testament. I highly recommend that you read them. Um, but in the Gospels, uh, the disciples had this moment where they were arguing about which of them would be the greatest of all time. Um, it's found in the book of Luke, chapter nine. Basically, um, the Bible tells us that an argument uh, or a debate started uh, among them about which was the greatest, and then Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and, 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 and pulled the little child beside him, and he told the disciples, whoever welcomes a child like this in my name welcomes me, and, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. And then he said this. He said, for the one who is the least among you is he who will be the greatest. I find that very interesting because, you know, typically as humans, we will uh, look at what's the best statistics. What, what, what is the greatest thing about something or someone that, that makes them great? And yet Jesus says, is the least among you who will be greatest. Um, and then another example of uh, a moment where greatest of all time came up is found in the book of Mark chapter three, where Jesus taught about what's known as the unpardonable sin. Jesus said this, he says, truly I tell you, people be can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter. But listen to this. He says, whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, which by the way means rejects the Holy Spirit uh, and commits the sin of, of, of unbelief, um, it, it is he who will never be forgiven. And so Jesus sort of classifies this, this sin as unpardonable. He, he classified it as the greatest of all time, the sin of all sins. And, and then there's this moment, and, and this is kind of where we're gonna land at this morning with our Bible study, but then there's this moment in the book of Matthew where the issue of greatest of all time came up concerning God's commandments. And so if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 22. As you guys are turning there, <clears throat> I wanna let you know that um, Pastor Mike's gonna be back next week uh, to continue our study in the book of Mark. Um, he spent some time in Haiti, and then he and his wife have been on vacation, um, much deserved vacation, so uh, we're excited that he's been able to get rest, but he'll be back. So looking forward to that. Until then, you have to deal with me, okay? <laughs> so Matthew chapter 22, we're gonna start in verse 34. So Matthew tells us that when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. He said, this is the great and first commandment but, verse 39, a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments, Jesus said, depend all the law and the prophets. Now, a little background as to what's going on here. 
So earlier in the chapter, Matthew tells us that the Pharisees, uh, and this is verse 15, I believe, Matthew tells us that the Pharisees had plotted how to entangle Jesus in his words. And, and they, 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 they were, so basically what they were trying to do is they were trying to trick Jesus into saying something that they could use against him. And, and so they asked him a question about um, paying taxes to Caesar. And um, unfortunately for them, their, their little plan didn't work. And so uh, they went away. Um, then Matthew tells us that the Sadducees came along and tried their hand at stumping Jesus by asking him about the resurrection. The thing about the Sadducees was they did not buy into this idea of a resurrection. And so uh, they were trying to uh, stump Jesus and, and sort of discredit Jesus by, by tricking him into saying something stupid, okay? And so, unfortunately for them, um, their plan didn't work either. Instead, what Jesus said astonished or amazed them and really just kind of shut them down. And so here we come to this moment in verse 34 where I guess the Pharisees were thinking third time's a charm, right? And so, so they come back at Jesus yet again. Now, if you're new to the Bible, you may be wondering, what, what, what's wrong with these guys? Like, what's up with them? Why, why do they have such an issue with Jesus? Why are they trying to entangle him in his words? And the thing you have to understand is that they hated Jesus because Jesus came onto the scene and was discrediting much of their uh, religious system. And, and he was gaining popularity in the process. And, and they didn't like that. And so, you know, they were looking to discredit him. They were looking to make him look bad. Really what they were looking to do was to find a way to turn him over to the authorities so that he could be killed and just kinda, you know, disappear from their lives because he was just disrupting everything so much. And so if you look at verse 35, Matthew tells us that one of them, an expert in the law, asked Jesus, which, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Come on, Jesus, tell us. What, what do you think? What, what is the commandment of all commandments? What is the commandment that you, Jesus, would consider the greatest of all time? Now, an interesting little bit of information here. Did you know that when it came to all the law and the prophets, that in addition to the iconic 10 commandments, there were over 600 laws that Jews would follow? Isn't that crazy? Over 600 laws. Now, for those of you who might be new to the whole uh, God thing, well, the 10 commandments we're gonna put on the screen here, um, and, and these are popular, and, 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 and you know we put these on statues and uh, monuments across the, the country, they're getting taken down, you know, um, but, but, but these are the iconic 10 here. And, and they are that we should have no other gods, and that we shouldn't make idols, and that we don't take God's name in vain, and that we remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Those, those first four have to do with our relationship um, with God. And then the next six are that we should honor our parents, that we shouldn't kill, we shouldn't commit adultery, we shouldn't steal from people, uh, we shouldn't lie about people, and then finally, we shouldn't covet people's stuff. Those six right there have to do with our relationship with each other, okay? And, and, and then in addition, like if that's not enough, right, the Jews would follow over 600 more laws 
to be right with God. And so the Pharisees wanted to entangle Jesus in his words and have him pick out just one out of over 600. But instead, what Jesus does surprises them. What Jesus does is he takes them to what's known as the Shema. Now, the Shema is the most important and influential prayer in Judaism. The word Shema is our English word hear or, or to listen, and it's the first word in the Shema, which is hear, O Israel. You remember that from Deuteronomy chapter six, verses four through nine? That's where Jesus takes them, and it surprises them, and he, and he says this. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. You wanna know what the greatest commandment is? Let's go to the Shema. Let's go to the most influential prayer in your life right now. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. But he doesn't stop there, does he? He says that there's a second just like it. And that is that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He says, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And so Jesus says, look, all these laws that you follow so meticulously, it all boils down to two things. Love God and love people. And you could even boil it down to one word, right? And that word is love. Love. All the law and the prophets hang on love. Now, a simple glance at this story, and you might not conclude that it's that big of a deal. But what you need to understand this morning is that what Jesus said to the Pharisees was a huge deal. And the reason it was a huge deal is because his response to them exposed them for what they lacked the most, and that was love. You see, the Pharisees were so focused on following all of the laws so meticulously that obedience to God became just a religious obligation for them. You see, the Pharisees had what we would call today a works-based theology. And for them, they were the chief beneficiaries of their works. See, it was all about them. They, they were motivated by an outward and selfish desire for power and position. And, and so what Jesus was doing is he was turning the tables on them for their lack of a characteristic of inward love. Does that make sense? And, and, and in fact, that's why one chapter over in Matthew 23, uh, verses 25 and 26, Jesus said this to them. He said, woe to you. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish. In other words, you're, you're so focused on making sure that, that, that you follow these laws so meticulously, right? But inside, you're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee. He says, 
First, clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. In other words, your outward conformity is useless because there's no inward change. Your, your outward uh, conformity to a bunch of laws and, and, and all these religious practices is empty and it's useless because you lack the love of God inside of you. And, and here, here's what I wanna submit to you this morning. <clears throat> I, I think it's easy for us to read about the Pharisees and think, man, for shame, right? And, 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 and it's so easy for us to judge them for their empty religion. But what I think we have to realize in 2018 is that if we're not careful, we too can become pharisaical in our Christianity. Right, if we're not careful, we can also become so focused on outward conformity to God's laws that we forget to love the lawgiver. We can become so concerned sometimes with how bad other people are and how wrong they're getting it that we forget to love and serve those people that God has called us to. So, how's the love of God doing in your life? How's this whole God thing going for you? Why do, why do you come to church? Why do you sing songs? Why do you tithe? Why do you serve? Like, why do you do this stuff? Is it because the love of God compels you to? Or have you become pharisaical in your Christianity, just, just checking things off of a list. All right, so to lighten up the mood a little bit, I wanna share five signs you might be a modern day Pharisee, okay? So here they are. Number one, you spend more time focusing on what you hate than what you love. You know, sadly, a lot of Christians um, have given all of Christianity a bad name um, these days. Uh, by being more concerned and known for what they're against um, than what they're for. And, and if that's you, um, you might be a Pharisee. Um, number two, <laughs> number two, you're quick to point out other sins, but you act as if your own sin doesn't exist or it's not that bad. A.W. <clears throat> Tozer said it this way. He said, a Pharisee is hard on others and easy on himself. Okay, you might be a Pharisee if. Number three, you spread accusations against others without ever going to them directly. Oh my goodness, this is such a big problem in the church. And yet the Bible is clear that we should go to our neighbor, go to our brother and sister who has offended us, right, directly. Matthew 18, but what happens so often is that the modern day Pharisee takes every opportunity they can get to destroy others with their slander. And by the way, if you missed last week, I have a whole message about that. You can go to calvarypsl.com and um, click on watch and you can find that message about the power of our words and um, avoiding things like slander and instead using our words to build up. Um, but number four, you might be a Pharisee if, 
you rarely ever admit that you are wrong and you can't take correction. You see, Pharisees are the kind of people who will always have an excuse ready uh, for their own behavior and then an accusation ready for someone else's behavior. They love to turn the spotlight on other people, but they rarely um, let the light shine on their own lives. Number five, and this is probably the biggest one. You might be a Pharisee if you believe that your religious activity makes you right with God. You see, for the modern day Pharisee, what we're doing right now, this thing we call weekend worship, it's, for the Pharisee, it's not, it's not a moment to draw into the presence of God, it's just another check off the list. Religious activity is, 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 is not so much about being transformed into the image of God as much as, as it is about you know, living up to the standard of God to be right with God. That's how the Pharisees behave when it comes to this whole God thing. And so you might be a Pharisee if you do those things. But, but here's, here's my hope and my prayer is that we would not be Pharisaical in our Christianity, okay? You know, the Pharisees uh, were all about that stuff. But I pray to God that we're not. So here's what I wanna tackle this morning. How, how do we avoid becoming a modern day Pharisee? And, and what does Jesus' answer to the Pharisees concerning the great commandment have to do with us today? What does it mean to love God? What does it mean to love people? So let's think about this idea of loving God, all right? Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And so what I'd like to do is actually break down all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind to help us understand what this means for us in 2018. So the phrase, all your heart, in my opinion, speaks of exclusivity. And to me, loving God with all my heart means that my highest loyalty of love is to him. Not myself, not my spouse, not my kids, not my career, and not my hobbies, right? My highest calling, my highest loyalty, my highest devotion is to love God passionately. Love God passionately. If you're taking notes, write that down. Love God passionately. Okay, what does it mean to love God passionately? Well, when you're passionate about something, what do you do? You learn about it. You constantly think about it. You invest time into it. And you're just intentional about it, right? And, 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 and when I think about being passionate, I can't help but think about uh, Fortnite and, and just the, the craze of, of this video game among young people. Um, if you have, if you have a, a, a child and they have a console or, or a gaming computer, you know what I'm talking about. Fortnite is all the rage right now. And, and, and the thing about Fortnite is, is that these kids are passionate about it. They, they learn about it, right? They watch YouTube videos about how to be better and they watch um, live streamers about 
how to be better. You know, they, they're always thinking about it. They're always talking about it. They invest their allowance money into it. They're very intentional about Fortnite. And, 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 and I, I share that to say that that's the kind of passion that God deserves from us. That we would just be so in love with him and passionate about the word. And that we would just think about him constantly as King David said, that we would meditate on him day and night. And that we would just invest in that relationship and be intentional about that relationship instead of just getting to it when we can get to it, right? Now, Jesus is calling us to be a church, to be a people that loves God passionately with all of our heart, all of our heart. And then Jesus says this, that we should love him with all our soul and with all our mind. And so if you're taking notes, write this down. We need to love God emotionally and intelligently. We need to love God emotionally and intelligently. And there's a good reason that I combine those two, and here's why. There's a popular movement in the church these days called emotionalism. Some call it sensationalism. But I like emotionalism. I think it describes it a little bit better. And, and here's the deal. Emotionalism happens when this, I don't know, this ooey-gooey experience that we have um, in church uh, takes priority over truth. Okay, we, we need to be very careful in our modern-day Christianity to keep our ooey-gooey emotions for God balanced with truth. And so we need to love God emotionally, and we need to love God intelligently, okay? So, so just listen to me. Loving God and being a Christian is an experience, right? It is experiential, and there is emotion involved. And, and, and we should love God with all of our soul, but the emotion and the experience cannot surpass the truth of God's word. There has to be balance, okay? Let me explain a little bit further. So way back in the day, in Jesus' time, with the Pharisees, one of, one of their pitfalls was that they loved the experience of religion more than who their religion was based on. Okay, let me say that again. For the Pharisees, they loved the experience of their religion more than they loved who their religion was based on. And sadly, what I'm seeing in the modern day church is this growing problem of emotionalism where a lot of Christians love to have the experience and get into the emotion of their religious practices more than they love God. And it's just wrong. And, and a lot of people are being led astray. So, so the question is, okay, how do we avoid this, right? Because, because we are very emotional people, right? And we love experiences, right? How do we avoid this? And, and I think the answer is that we have to remember that this whole God thing is not about me. Okay, our, our religious practices, like coming to church and <clears throat> worshiping through music and hearing the word taught and tithing and serving and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, it's not about me. Okay, instead, it's everything that I am and everything that I have for him. 
Yes, there's emotion involved. Yes, it's an experience, but it's not about me. It's not what I can do for God. It's about what he's done for me and then my worship going just back to him. It's about him, it's for him. So love God emotionally with all your soul. Experience him, but balance that with truth and let your love for God be intelligent. So let's love God passionately, let's love him emotionally, and let's love him intelligently, okay? Jesus said it's the goat, okay? It's the greatest of all time when it comes to getting this whole God thing right. So listen, I want you to ask yourself this weekend, do I really love God like this? There's the old saying that actions speak louder than words. And, and so many of you say that you love God, but I'm just curious, where's the evidence as it pertains to the things that I've been talking today? Not that evidence earns your love for God, not that the evidence of your faith somehow makes you right with God or anything like that. <clears throat> but, but, there, but there needs to be some evidence concerning your love for God. Do, do you love God? You say you love God? Okay, what would your kids say? Because your kids, your kids see you when you're not at church and when you're not around other people. What, what would your kids say? What would your friends say about you? Would, would they say, yeah, John, yeah, he, he loves God for sure. <laughs> and then how about this one? Um, and I don't want this to be misunderstood, but what would your bank account say? And, and listen, don't misunderstand me because this isn't a, like a plug to, hey, you should tithe more, you should give to the school or, you know, like give money. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about this, that, that where you spend your money what you spend your money on, how you spend your money says a lot about where your heart is. So what would your bank account say? Would it say that you love God? What about your calendar? Because doesn't our day-to-day -day life tell a story about what's most important to us? What does your calendar say? Does it reveal that you love for God or that you love God or does it reveal that you really just kind of love yourself and, and what you're into and, and all the superficial things that you might be involved in? Do you love God? Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. It's the first and great commandment. But Jesus said there's a second like it, didn't he? And that is that you should love your neighbor as yourself. You should love people. So let's talk about loving people. And, and I wanna keep this really simple and really practical. Um, and so if you're taking notes, write this down. I need to love people like I love myself. Okay, you wanna get this right? Love people like you love yourself. And, and I understand you may be here this morning and, and you may not be happy with your current situation or circumstances. You may not be happy with the way that you look or with your career or with the choices that you've made recently, or with your family situation, whatever, whatever it might be, but I can tell you this, you love yourself. You know why I know that? Because I know that when you have a need, you do what it takes to meet that need in your life. When you're hurt, you do what it takes to heal that hurt in your life. 
When you're hungry, you eat. When you're thirsty, you get something to drink. You love yourself, don't you? And that's okay. We should love ourselves. We should take care of ourselves. But we're really good at it. We're, re we're really good at loving and taking care of ourselves. And I think what Jesus is telling us this morning is that we need to learn to love others like that. Right? When we see a need, we need to act. When we see somebody hurting, we need to help. When we see somebody hungry, we should feed them. When we see somebody thirsty, we should give them something to drink. When we see somebody sick who can't take care of themselves, we should look after them. And by the way, this is Matthew 25, 35 through 40, all day, okay? Here, here's what it says, Jesus. It's a beautiful teaching on this about how, how we can love people. He said, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. A stranger, you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick, you looked after me. In prison, you came to visit me. And the righteous will look at Jesus and go, when? When did we do all these things? And then verse 40, Jesus will say, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these people, you did it for me. That's the kind of love that Jesus is calling us to, that we should love others like we love ourselves. And then I would say this, here's your next point. Love others as he has loved us, right? So I'm gonna love people like I love myself, but also I need to love others as he has loved me. First John, or excuse me, John 13, uh, verse 34, Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to what? Love one another. So, 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 so love others as, as I've loved you, Jesus said, now, the question is, how did he love us, right? Because we have to understand how he loved us before we can love others like he loved us, right? So, so just think about this. Like, how did Christ love me? Did he kind of love me? Did he only love me when I was lovable? What, was it a, a selfish kind of love for him, for, that, that, that he would just benefit from? And how, how about this? Was it a love directed at some people but not others? No, come on, you guys know the answer to this stuff. Jesus loved all of us, and he loved us sacrificially, and he loved us unconditionally. His love had no limits, it had no race, it had no socioeconomic barriers, no strings attached. Man, he lavished his love on us. And that's how he's called us to love other people. Over in the book of Colossians chapter three, Paul tells us to put on several uh, virtues, almost like a garment, right? He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. So, so, so Paul you know, encourages us to put on all these things. In fact, a, a few verses earlier, he actually tells us to take off some things. Um, uh, he says to take off anger and rage and malice and slander and all this stuff. But then he says, put on all this, all this other stuff that's, that, that's good for relationships, right? And, but then he says this. He says, but above all these, watch this. He says, put on love. 
above all those other things, put on love. And you wanna know why he said that? Well, he explains it in the next sentence there. Because love binds everything together in perfect harmony. Love is a binding agent. It's a binding agent, just like glue. If you look up the definition of a binding agent, what you'll find is that a binder is any material or substance that holds or draws other materials together to form a cohesive whole, all right? So uh, I know we got some parents in the room, and I'm just curious if your, your house is anything like mine, and there is slime all over the walls, all over the floors, in everybody's clothes, everywhere. How many of you can relate to that? Okay, so there was this huge slime craze. For those of you who don't know, kids all over the world are making slime, okay? And it's, it's ooey, gooey, sticky, it just gets everywhere, okay? But the interesting thing about slime um, is that there's several different ingredients, but the kind that my daughter makes, it, it involves glue. I, I, don't, I don't know, you guys help me out. Is, is glue's like the thing, you gotta have glue, right? Okay, so, so glue is that binding agent in this, 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 this slime that these kids are making. And, and, and there's all these different ingredients, but without the glue, um, you don't get slime. Without glue, you don't get the cohesive whole of, of what you're going after. And, and the same is true about love. That's, that's the nature and the power of love. It, it draws all the other Christ-like virtues together to make everything a cohesive whole, and, it, and it's just sticky. When, when, love, when love is the binding agent of all the other virtues that God calls us to, man, our, 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 our Christianity is just sticky, and it's just ooey, and it's gooey, and it just gets everywhere. That, that's the kind of love that God's calling us to, a cohesive, sticky love. And here's, here's my issue, is that I, I think we get that. Like, we can say amen, yeah, God wants me to love, but I think, I think the issue for some people in modern day Christianity, especially in our American culture, is that it's not that, that God just calls us to love, it's that he calls us to love all people. Okay, not just your family, not just your circle of friends, not, not just people who are like you or who have the same skin color as you or who are in the same political party as you. No, he calls us to love all people, okay? All people. So I want you to write, write this down or, or take a screenshot, whatever you gotta do. You need to get this down. Since God is calling me to overflow with love towards all people, I have to be really careful not to get caught in the undertow of hate towards some. You guys have been to the ocean, right? I sure hope so, it's 20 minutes down the road. I have family coming in from Arkansas, and um, it's, so I'm taking vacation uh, but I'm not going anywhere. They're coming here, and to them, it's like, oh my goodness, we're going to the beach. And I'm like, I could care less about the beach. Um, but you guys have been to the ocean. Um, the ocean's pretty cool. Um, when, we, when me and my wife and my, my two kids go, um, me and my wife will sit on the beach as the kids play, and we'll watch the, the waves crash in, and it's, 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 it's beautiful. It, it never gets old watching the, the waves crash onto the beach. Um, but one of our concerns as parents um, is this 
nasty little thing called the undertow. Now, the undertow is just the seaward pull of water away from the shore as the waves are coming in, okay? If you were to look up a definition of, of undertow, what you would find is that an undertow is an underlying tendency or force that runs in the opposite direction um, of, of, of the apparent one or the one on the surface. And, and so when you go to the beach and you see these beautiful waves coming in, a lot of times what you don't realize is that underneath the surface, there, there's a, a powerful force called an undertow that can literally take its victims out to sea and, and drown them, right? Okay, ladies and gentlemen, sadly, for so many people who call themselves Christians in our American culture, there is an underlying force and tendency that is running in the opposite direction of the life of love that God has called them to. And, and it's subtle, and, it, and, and you may not be able to, to see it on the surface because they come to church and they sing songs and they serve and they tithe and, and, and they post scripture on their social media account, and so they look very Christian on the outside, but underneath the surface, there is an undertow of hate. And maybe hate is a strong word, and so I would also add there's just a lack of love towards some people because they're different. And so while love is, is, is supposed to be extended to all people, for some in our Christian community, under the surface there's an undertow of hate because someone's skin color is different or because they're from a different political party or because they did something wrong to you, and so you hold it against them, or whatever the case may be. But, but I gotta tell you, if that's you this morning, and you know who you are, I, I gotta be honest with you about something. That hatred in your heart, that, that lack of love that you show, or that you don't show towards people who are different from you, it's got you on the wrong side of things. It's got you on the wrong side. And, 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 here's, and here's why. And I know this is a bold statement, but I'm saying it. It's because the hatred in your life, the, the lack of love that you decide to show because someone's different, it's making you allies with Satan. It's got you on the wrong side. And I know that's a bold statement, and I know that's a strong statement, but let me prove to you biblically why it's true. First John chapter three, 11 and 12. The Bible says this is the message that you've heard from the beginning. You should love one another. You shouldn't be like Cain, who's of the evil one and murdered his brother. And, and why did he murder him? Well, because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. He was jealous of him. Uh, don't be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. I find that interesting right there. I mean, I could just seriously go off on that right now. Like the world hates us. What do we do in hating each other? You know, like I could, I, I could go, but I'm, we're out of time already. Somebody calm me down. <laughs> but here's the deal. In this passage, we see Cain hating his brother. 
And, 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 and hating his brother, what he did was he teamed up with Satan and he destroyed a life. And so I'm here to tell you this morning that, that hating, and again, withholding love is an act of rebellion against God. And it gets you on the wrong side. And, and let, me, let me tell you something, you, you, as a believer, you have been called to be an ambassador for God. You've been called to be a representative of his love to all people. And when you hate someone or when you withhold love because they're different, you're on the wrong side. And some of you need to get off the wrong side and come back to the right side. Okay, we need to learn to love each other no matter what our differences are, especially in a day and age in an American culture that is aimed at dividing us. Okay, so let me challenge you with something. Sometime this week, I want you to read, write this down, I want you to read John 4, 1 through 42. It's a beautiful story about how we should cross barriers to love people. And then I want you to go out of your way this week to show love to someone who's different from you. I want you to find somebody that has a different skin color than you or a different political background and you better not bring up politics. I'm telling you right now. Um, Find somebody that has a different religion than you uh, or a different socioeconomic situation that you might not ever hang out with otherwise, find that person, identify a need, and show them love and meet that need. I'm challenging you to do that, and I've challenged myself to do that this week too, and, and I can't wait to come back next week and hear all the stories about the ways that you guys reached out and meet, met needs, okay? So I'm, I'm holding you to it. Come tell me your stories next week. I, I look forward to it. All right, we got, we got to close, so let me just sum everything up. Jesus taught us that if we want to get this whole God thing right, it really just boils down to two things. Love God and love people. Everything else that we would do in this, this thing called Christianity would hang on those two things. Love God, love people. It's the goat. It's the greatest of all time. So let's be a church that loves God passionately and loves God emotionally and loves God intelligently and let's be a church that loves all people. Say all people. people. Let's be a church that loves all people like we love ourselves and love as he has loved us. Thank you so much for listening this morning. I'm gonna invite Pastor Jacob out to dismiss us. God bless you guys.